Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. John Merriguin's brilliant, darkly comedic morality tale examines a wildly ambitious Westerner who tries to get in on China's tech boom. He finds that he may not be up to the task. Texan Jimmy Van Horn, played by David Zellner, is a cowboy huckster who arrives in the booming city of Shenzhen with a couple of bitcoins and a huge ambition of parlaying them into an economic success. Lucky for Jimmy, he's got a friend holding op- the door open for this accidental Shangri-La by the name of Bob <laughs> Granger, played by Robert Longstreet, who's gotten new teeth, a blonde wig, and looks 20 years younger. He promises to do the same for Jimmy in six weeks. And that is the premise behind this wildly entertaining, funny, dark, crazy film that you will enjoy from start to finish, and it's called Ghost Box Cowboy, and we're joined today by the writer and the director of the film, and that would be John Maranguin. John, welcome to Film School. Thanks, Mike. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for being here. I want to know what the genesis of the story was, and how you, what this sort of, how you realized this amazing vision for Ghost Box Cowboy. But let's start with where the story came from. Um, you know, it, it has so many, there's so many different, uh, ways in which it came at me. I don't know if it, um, uh, you know, came from any one particular place. You know, yeah, I have to almost start with rooms of different things. Like for example, one thing was I was living in San Francisco and I was surrounded by tech entrepreneurialism, just like out of control. Like, you know, the city's transform, you know, like transitioning from a, you know, a city that's about artists and, you know, creative people to one in which it's it's just guys with, you know, khaki pants and tucked in shirts and uh, it's a business city now. And uh, there's this sort of Wild West mentality about plastic gadgetry. I had ended up kind of getting looped into, well, I was working and uh, uh, doing commercials and, and shooting tech products. For example, like, you know, I, I got like the first Fitbit video I had to do, and I didn't know what it was. Like, I just did. And then I looked at the sheet and I said, what the hell is this thing? You know, like, why do we need this thing? You know, and uh, and I swear, my I shot the whole video. I didn't know what it did or, you know, the, the idea that you know, had to, the metrics, you know, like you had to know how many steps and whatnot. It just, was, it just seemed like something that was imposed upon, yeah. you know, people. <laughs> but, but I was, you know. That was the way that you know that I had to do this thing. So, anyways, um, and and then I got to kind of see behind the, the the curtain of that world, and it all kind of it all pointed to this place that I I'd heard of, but I didn't really wasn't really, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a place. It I, I had heard of it, but you know, I didn't realize it was such a big deal, which was uh, Shenzhen. It was where all these things came from, and you know, you had to know the right the right. Uh, manufacturing air, you know, because they were all 25 right, and right. their parents had retired. And I, you know, I got this guy who's going to make me X amount of this. And so they had, you know, successful products like these, these ones you've heard about. And they had like, you know, exponentially more, uh, 
guys who were trying to be that guy. And I had run into a couple of these guys and, you know, they had ridiculous products, you know, like uh, an online masturbation game, you know, like the Rockstar and the, you know, the, the, uh, let's see, there's a bunch. And I just thought that was wild. And so they, but they were going, they were, they were sort of spinning it. um, And instead of just, you know, trying to find sourcing and manufacturing, they were actually trying to get money from the kids who owned the factories. You know, it's like, oh, I got this thing, and I'm going to get this guy, you know, who owns this factory with five thousand people, and they're going to—they're not even—they're not just going to make this; they're going to invest in it. And so, I thought that was a fascinating setup. So that's like one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's like one sliver of it. Right. Um, it, is, it is truly just one sliver of this film. You're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, it, I, there's like five or six more different, uh, <laughs> you know, ones. So, well, um, well, that's a good thread to pull on for right now. We, and we can kind of, I think we can sort of cover as we go along. Because I, I want to I spend a little time on that. Because as you were talking about it, I was thinking... That the, the time you're the time frame you're talking about is when China, which I don't think a lot of people quite understand how the economy of China works, and if I may be not completely accurate, but I think generally this is the case. China doesn't necessarily make a lot of stuff; it assembles a lot of stuff. It doesn't act it, until recently, at least. Its economy was based on it was the the most efficient place in the world to assemble a product and then get it to marketplace. And, and they were and they were more or less a cash based economy, at least Western cash based economy. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is just this the in in a very very short period of time, an agrarian society mass migrated into an into an urban manufacturing society in less than a generation. Right. With tons transmogrified transmogrified <laughs> with tons and tons of cash. So right. it sounds like what they were doing was trying to market to a Western economy, and I think is that is that would that be a fair statement? The guys you were that you were referring to, they were sort of trying to make it manuf- market their product Correct. to a Western culture. Correct. And and really trying to kind of understand what the forces, uh, you know, what the buyer forces were, right. um, and how to appeal to those, uh, you know, those tastes. Okay. I mean, that's a good point to make about China, you know, transitioning into, uh, you know, from agrarian to, you know, very almost futuristic capitalist model. Um, Hy- and, uh, hyper, like, hyper-capitalist. Hyper, yeah. Hyper-capitalist, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Shenzhen, um, a, 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 you know, an amazing statistic, which I think is in the film. I think Bob says it, um, uh, that that city was a fishing village in the 70s. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a it was across a, a, a uh, you know a, a marsh from from Hong Kong, and that's, that's basically what it was. And now it's it's one of the biggest cities in the world. And that's, I think for the past ten years, it's it's been uh, you know at a steady clip. I think it's uh, you know yeah. it's and to be there, it's it's bigger than I mean it it, it looks bigger than Los Angeles. I mean it's skyscrapers, um, you know kind of as far as you can see. Is it uh, being populated so yeah. now? Is it being populated? Shenzhen? Yeah. Um, I think it's 20 million people. Oh, okay. But that the but the special economic zone, that area, which is Guangdong, which actually um, is is a uh, is three or four major cities, 
which were all, you know, small cities, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So it's, uh, you know, Shenzhen, Dongguan, Guangzhou, um, that area, I think that's 100 million people. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's where most of the things in the world come from, <laughs> and especially most of the tech. Yeah. So this um, is this so. is the setting for for this film, basically. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So in this hyper capitalist system culture, we we drop in Jimmy Van Horn, Texas born entrepreneur, dude in a cowboy hat, dude in a cowboy hat, <laughs> and he and he makes it look good. Do you want to get into what it is the product is because I it I just think this is an amazing idea the product, but do you want to talk specifically or just that he has a product. Oh, he's got a, yeah, he's got a product. I, the, the thing, he's, he is a guy who's sort of out of step. He's from Texas and he's, you know, sort of wearing the, um, you know, the, the wolf's, uh, what do you call it? Wolf's clothing? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <Chief> clothing <laughs> of, a, of an entrepreneur, what his idea of an entrepreneur is. Right. And that's a guy in penny loafers in a, um, you know, a suit that he bought at, you know, at Burlington Coat Factory and a, right. and a hat, you know. And uh, he's heard that his friend, this guy he knew from back in the day, uh, Bob, had uh, had made it the big time in, in, uh, in Shenzhen. And, you know, was, you know, saw his Facebook posts with McLarens and, you know, parties yeah. and, yeah. Uh, you know, models and that sort of thing. And so he wanted a piece of that. And, uh his friend said, well, why don't you bring, you know, bring over some money and I'll, you know, multiply it by a hundred. You right. know, that's how it works here. Right. And I had known guys like that who were in Shenzhen who said the same thing to me, you know, like, oh yeah, just come over here with 20 grand and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll turn it into 2 million in, uh, in six weeks, right, right. you know? Yeah. Again, the, the film, this is the film we're talking about is uh, ghost box cowboy. And, there, this film is populated with people who are, or all everyone's on the make in some manner of speaking. Everyone is is a part of this ecosystem of money, making money, promoting things, marketing things. But one of my favorite scenes in the film, and I think it's indicative of just where we're at in terms of our understanding of China, and it's I think it's a key scene in the film is when he sits down with the when jimmy sits down with the uh the money people and investors the investors right and he's in the process of describing the product which they the three of them all are looking very incredulously at him and at themselves as he describes it and then they start peppering him with questions and he says at one point these this thing is going to sell like hotcakes and and then he starts like the hotcakes the the hotcakes that's it the hotcakes (laughs) And one of the one of the money people and the investors who hasn't spoken at all says, "I'm from Cleveland." Okay, I I, I just love the, I I love I, I mean, again why I'm why I'm highlighting this is because th- this is kind of the moment. But he's in, go ahead, Asian, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's Asian. I I should have. I'm sorry, right. I, did, I blew the setup on that. But uh, but it, 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 it from there's these are certain there are certain points in in this film where things start to unravel and they start to unravel in these wonderfully funny, darkly funny ways and 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 in some ways 
appropriately. I just, I just think they're so or inappropriate or inappropriate. I don't know, whatever. But <laughs> cringeworthy, <this>, cringeworthy. <laughs> I, and I, I will tell you, it, it, this is just such a joyride to be on, and but to watch Jimmy start the, to sort of pierce this armor of I've got this. I'm gonna. This is gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna walk through this. I'm gonna make a lot of money, and and you know, and finds out that you know what the people here know a lot more than you do. So right. uh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I'm fixating on that, except I just got so much out of that part of the film in terms of where we're going with the rest of the movie. I'm so glad you, you dug that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so with, I feel like I sort of leapfrogged ahead a little bit. So, you know, his buddy, uh, who, who's Bob Granger in the film, is another fine, again, one of the, marks of this film is the acting uh is terrific the people you have in the film david zellner is terrific uh robert oh, yeah he's amazing isn't yeah. he isn't he you know unbelievable yeah. it's it's a very understated performance in a lot of ways very much a kind of an internal thing but he just mm-hmm. he really nails it and um i don't even take that where you want but i i, I well think, no it's a, absolutely i mean it was a really um I mean, in ter- it, it, just in terms of acting, um, it was one of the hardest things you can ask someone to do, which is to play something that's really internal. Um, and I'm uh, internal. Um, he and I kept talking to him about, well, I need you to be vulnerable. I really need you to be vulnerable, but kind of trying to play a part. Yeah. Trying to try to play the role, but then kind of let it let China start to to get you and to. Um, you know, uh, and to be in these situations where, you know, we see you kind of um, puffed up and inflated, you know, but, um, you know, kind of insecure at the same time. So he's, he's being asked to do multiple things simultaneously right? in very live type situations. For example, um, you know, some of the scenes were un- totally unscripted. You're in a situation that's, um, that's just happening. So... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's I've got that sense. Uh, there is a there is a improv vibe to the to the film. Although mm-hmm. although there are so many different plot points, I I know that you had to write sure, a sure. pretty a pretty mm-hmm. tight script. But there's tight, yeah, it's it's very tightly scripted and uh, structurally. Yeah. And and certain scenes uh even more so. And but there's also certain things that are uh, very free form. And that's kind of what attracted me to it. Uh, it's a film that was sort of, you know, both formal and uh, insane at the same time. So Yes, and that, that insanity is really, I was going to say it's generated by the Americans, but that's not true. That's not exactly an accurate statement. The, the, I think the insanity of this or the, the, the things that feel like they're about to spin out of control are a byproduct of this environment where money, the place is awash in money, and mm-hmm. and there are, and there are, and this is a road that these people have never been down before. Right. Is that that fair? A road meaning the 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 characters. And the the characters. What I'm talking about a, a social system that's never been here before. I'm talking about the Chinese, who, although they figured it out long before. Jimmy Van Horn arrives. He knows they know the lay, lay of the land, but I'm talking about sort of the money. Money is just driving people crazy. It, it drives people right. crazy to do crazy things. 
Absolutely, yeah. And there's a sense of dislocation, too, in the film, where guys, like I was talking about investors, the, you know, the, the, the heirs of um, you know, folks who own factories, who are sort of given past-handed factories by the Communist Party when they transitioned, or they're now in a second generation, and these kids were born into it, and they've been handed, uh, you know, these these living, these things that are, you know, alive, and and, and the, the the workers live there, and they're responsible for five, ten thousand people, right? You know, so these like miniature nations, and uh, you know, all they want to do is have fun, and so um, yeah, there is a is there a real madness in that, and it's a kind of a disturbing like post future <laughs> something going on in that but i mean i think it's 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 a, it's a sort of a street mythology that there are these rich folks in china i mean there's like a there's a giant movie called you know crazy rich asian tv shows and things about it but well is that true um, is that is that was your experience i mean there i mean there oh, are absolutely yeah okay. absolutely but what i guess what i'm saying is i think that the up close and personal view of that is a lot different than uh Kind of what you're seeing in 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 media and in you know, TV and film is that these guys it's, it's a lot more lonely and uh, contemplative space that these kids are in because they're trying to figure out who to be and how they fit in. And a hyper capitalist system emerging at this point in the history of the planet could be very dire for the future of the planet, where where product mm-hmm. and and you know, selling more stuff, the 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 stress and strain of a of an emerging Asian economy, where resources are at we're at, we're at kind of a stressful point in in the in the world's ability to sustain this kind of consumptive sort of yeah it's, model it's sort of the yeah it's the worst time to exactly. to be in that model yeah. right that that's my question is 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 there an awareness that that this kind of while I while I can completely understand why the economy of China, the people of China, would want to emerge into a 21st century nation, I understand all of those impulses and you know the the ability to 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 be a, a world power. But boy, it, it could not be happening at a worse time. At a worse time, although ironically, um, you know, the Chinese government is is one of the you know yeah. <laughs> they're one of the uh, World leaders, the most progressive world leaders in terms of uh, you know climate uh, issues and things like that. Yeah, I guess that answers uh, my question. That's my concern. Is it? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're we're doing a lot worse than China, believe me. Yeah, I know. They they have worse. You know, they have immediate issues uh, that you can you know smell and taste and (laughs) and feel in your lungs. Uh, But their long view is um, is a lot more. Uh, advanced than ours. I mean, we don't even have a long view. No, um, we don't. So, we don't even have uh, a high-speed rail system. We don't even have. Yeah, we can't even get places. And and our our, you know, our poor uh, workers and you know rural uh, you know people that live in the out in the shit can't get out of there. You know, um, right. as a result. So, I mean, that's part of the that's uh, you know talking about different you know rooms where you know inspiration for the film came that was another one is that um it's sort of poverty you know uh, that's something that just drives me completely nuts living in san francisco is you just you know you you see uh, tent villages just piling up i called the city i said what are you going to do about all these people that are outside is there a plan 
you gonna you gonna you gonna shut down a Walmart or something?" <laughs> and Leah let him in. They're like, "No, there's no plan." You know, so I think in in many ways, you know, the United States is uh, you know it's just much more barbaric. Most of our poor are off the books. You yeah. know, the 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 government doesn't see them. Right. They don't exist, and so uh, that was kind of you know how you know one of the one of the things I wanted to try to get across in the film is he he sort of starts out as one of those people thinks he's gonna you know get somewhere by going to China, and so. Uh, he ends up in much the same place. There is an inevitability to the arc of of Jimmy Van Horn. Sure. And yeah. and uh, and so that is the pathos in the film. But then, all on on top of everything else, there's this absurdity. The absurdity of people like Bob Granger. The absurdity of just the circumstances he finds himself in, and and the fact that you dress him up in the in in this kind of a, you know, Captain America kind of outfit with the with the with the captain's hat and and all that stuff it, all of it i just it there's a lot more going on i guess that's what i'm trying to get to I'm watching the film while i was entertained and and um excited by the by the look of it by the way i haven't really talked about what a great look the film has it's very oh, wow, it's very neon and colorful and then it when it's when it switches you know into a different story it, it's a different look you're able to kind of capture all of these things, all of these different aspects to this story in beautiful ways. I mean, the cinematography is excellent in the film. So it, it's a film that Thank looks you. good, sounds good. It's a, it's funny. It's sad. It's, but it's also, it's also about more than just this kind of thrill ride of a film. Uh, you are trying to get uh, this point across that we're, we're talking about now. And I, you know, I, I just love films like this. This is, I, I, by the way, I'm going to pirate something I read in an in review, I'm old enough to remember a movie called Putney Swope. I actually, <laughs> I actually love that movie. Robert Downey yeah, Sr. Yeah, Robert Downey Sr. And there is an element when it came up in the with this review I read of the film, and I thought, you know, that is right. There's there's a number of references. Imagine uh, Lost in Translation on acid. Okay, imagine <laughs> right. you were, or you were watching it on acid. How's that? On DMT. On D, there you go, and and then and throw in some Putney, and then you throw. I mean, there's elements of some really solid filmmaking that you've incorporated into this film that I just, I just, I wish I could make a movie like this. Oh my, that's amazing! <laughs> What's wow. That? Yeah, I really do. I, I these are the kind of movies that I think what people. Who who love movies? Who understand l- the language of film and the storytelling involved? We're gonna are really gonna gravitate to your film. You know, there are times when I I can't imagine that you won't be lost a little bit watching the movie in terms of where we are and why. But that's part of that's part of the journey. That's what I love about movies is you don't have to understand everything. You'd be kind right. of crazy to to be to live your life that way. Just yeah, let exactly. it go. Let it go. And, and this is a film where you need to let go. Exactly. <laughs> Couldn't have put it better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I, I want to ask a, a couple of questions about the... And by the way, I want to remind our listeners, I'm sitting here talking to you for a while, about identifying the writer and the director of the film Ghost Box Cowboy, and that's John Marenguin. And uh, the, the... Tell me a little bit about... The actual production, how many days did you shoot? We didn't shoot that many days in China with Dave and Bob. The film was constructed over uh, a few 
summers. So we shot them, and I had shot um, a lot of things before and after uh, the original shoot, so the main shoot. So right, right, right. Because we had actors, and we had to get them in and out of there. David and Bob were uh, were only there for a very short time. In fact, we shot a, we shot a lot of Dave's scenes in the United States, um, and um, the the rest of the uh, the things is a it's a very it's a POV film, so you see it through his eyes. Those things were shot before and after the shoot, um, uh, just as a, as, a, as essentially B roll shoots. I'm curious about the editing involved. This feels like a film that took a while to edit. Oh yeah. <laughs> was that an understatement <laughs> sorry that is an understatement uh, it didn't took I tell you what it didn't take as long as it could have I mean I, I'm, the fact that we uh, we start to finish on this film was about three years is uh, okay still, it feels like it was about 15 years <laughs> but uh, <laughs> how many years it took off your life doing it <laughs> the amount of life yeah the amount of life force it took away yeah and and as far as and another couple of elements in it, uh, the sound design. I I love the, the. There's a lot of sound in your film. Sound, yeah. And I, I imagine that was a big part of what you wanted to concentrate on. Yeah, it was kind of everything, um, and it definitely happened at the same time. I mean, it, the sound design and the editing were sort of all you know synchronized. Um, you know, we were just. I would you know I'd stay up late at night and. And, you know, you know, by myself, it wasn't Sean and I sometimes. And, you know, I would just, you know, kind of start layering sounds and start trying to kind of recreate uh, what China, you know, what at least to me, what I felt like it was. And I, and like, it sounded like and felt like. Um, yeah. And I was always describing it as a kind of mothership vibe. Like that whole area just has this, this sort of warbling hum, just like, you just kind of hear it and feel it underneath everything. Yeah. And so that's what I was trying to communicate to Casey McAllister, a composer, um, who I, just, I think did a, you know, an all-time score on this. Um, yeah. And I just said, you know, like, let's make the music like it's coming up from the ground. Um, I don't want it to really feel like music. I just want it to feel like it's coming from the, you know, yeah. from the places. Well, so. I just I was just looking at the... the, the uh, production list and you had four five guys working sound recordists sound designers re-recording mixers you had a few people involved that's what i suspected when i there was were multiple work- mixes yeah, yeah, I, two, two different, yeah yeah i i just thought well i'm watching this and i was thinking and by the way i've been in hong kong and it i thought it it, it could have been in hong kong i mean i felt like you really captured that vibe mm-hmm. really well and as you're describing mm-hmm. the the composer the work he did on it yeah i can believe it i can believe it yeah yeah. Wow. Well, well. Now, for people who want to know about uh, more about the film, I can quickly tell them at ghostboxcowboy.com. They can find out about the film. This is a again. I I hope it's come across as this is an ambitious enterprise, uh, and some and this is a high wire act. I can imagine that that some points in the in the making of this film, you must have thought, "What the hell have I done?" or "What have I gotten myself into?" But it, the end product is absolutely. Yeah. The, at all times, yes. <laughs> At all times, but the end product is special, and I, um, I, I again, I love this film, and I love the kind of these kinds of films, and they challenge you, they entertain you, they make you think, and um, 
all of those things are important for me and I, I hope for our listeners as well. Well, come back, John, I, I, for your next project. I hope you will. I hope this has not been too traumatic for you. Uh, not at been, all. It was been, wonderful. It's been a joy for me as well. Again, the film is Ghost Box Cowboy. We've been speaking with the writer and director, John Marin-Gwynn. Thank you again and, and uh, continue to do what you're doing. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.